0: to Genesis chapter 45. For those of you who may be visiting with us for the first time, it is our practice to preach through entire books of the Bible. And so we have been in Genesis for a long time. Nearing the end, Genesis 45 will... Through the course of the sermon, read the entire chapter. However, uh, to begin the sermon, I simply want to read the first eight verses. So if you have your Bibles open, Genesis 45, verses 1 through 8. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the family I'm sorry, for the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing ploughing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to, pres- and to keep alive uh, for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord to all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Let's pray. Our Father, as we have read this passage about Joseph revealing himself uh, to his brothers, I pray that all of us would um, recognize the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, that we all would uh, entrust ourselves to Him, that we would not enter into the day of judgment, uh, having never recognized Him nor trusted in Him. Father, give Your wisdom uh, to us as we um, consider Your Holy Word, we ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. Don't you just hate it when you run into someone who knows you, but uh, you have no idea who they are? Uh, It's one of the most uncomfortable uh, feelings. Actually, um, I I had written this into my my notes, but then I found a way to deal with this if... uh, if someone comes to you and you don't know who they are, because I went, we had the the the, uh, the uh, conference on reform theology over at Holy Trinity, and so I was there on Friday night and Saturday morning, and uh, I had St. Claire Ferguson as a teacher what twenty years ago, and uh, I went and reintroduced myself to him. I, I, no way he could remember who I was. But he remembered me. But what he did was he he walked right up to me. I had a little plate of food, and he was so in my invaded my space that I thought the plate was going to fall over, and uh, and and then he said something in his Scottish brogue about uh, how young I look compared to. To when he uh, knew me 20 years ago, and, and I thought, well, he's just blowing smoke. He doesn't remember me. <laughs> but I was so uh, so taken back by him coming so close and so gregariously taking my hand that uh, I had forgotten whether what my name was. So anyway. So that may be my strategy from now on, to invade someone's space if I can't remember who they are. But anyway, that uncomfortable feeling, but we all know it, of, of having someone come up to us, they know us and we have no idea who they are. You can just imagine how uncomfortable that was for Joseph's brothers when Joseph revealed his identity to them. None of the brothers rushed up to hug him. None of the, none of the brothers rejoiced at their reunion, and it seems as if none of them were even able to manage a smile when they realized that Joseph was their brother. In fact, I think all they were able to manage was one collective gulp. Oh no. This week as I studied this passage, I kept being reminded of the first chapter of John's Gospel. In his preface to the Gospel, the first uh, 14 verses, the Apostle John wrote, uh, this is uh, verses 9-13, through The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, Yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. Isn't that striking? Jesus came to His own people, the people He called out from the nations to be His own treasured possession, the people that He set His love upon, the people that He redeemed from the hand of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. They did not know Him. They did not recognize Him. Joseph's brothers, all they did was sell Joseph into slavery. But the Jews arrested Jesus and put Him to death, an awful death on the cross. What do you think uh, their reaction will be on that great and awesome day? When they stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I bet their reaction will be more pronounced than one large collective gulp. In fact, the Bible gives us a peek and what their reaction will be. Revelation 6, verses 15-17 through says, Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling on the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? What will be your reaction on the great day of judgment? Have you recognized Christ? Have you received Him? Have you trusted Him? This is no small question. There's this idea out there that floats around in Christianity That because we're the ones that do the recognizing, we're the ones that do the receiving, we're the ones that do the trusting, that it follows then that we can choose the time of our salvation. Therefore, many choose to wait. They think to themselves, I've got some worldliness that I want to enjoy before I make my... Decision to recognize Christ's claim on my life? Or have I got some Sundays that I want to sleep in before I make my decision firmly to trust in Christ and come to church every Sunday? Or because the decision's mine, I can choose how firmly I want that decision to be made. This way of thinking is unfortunately very common, but it is also very wrong. You are not the author of your salvation. You contribute nothing to your salvation. Yes, you are responsible to receive. Yes, you are responsible to recognize. Yes, you are responsible to trust in Christ. But you contribute nothing to your salvation. Because even your recognizing, your receiving and your trusting those things that you do, are really gifts from God. Because it's the Holy Spirit who gifts us with faith. It's the Holy Spirit who gifts us with repentance. It's the Holy Spirit who draws us to Christ. In other words, your salvation is from the Lord. Joseph wanted to make his brothers understand this very important point. And so look at verses 5, 6, and 8. Verse 6, For the famine has been in the land these two years, and yet there are five years in which... I'm sorry, I started in verse 6. Let me go back to verse 5. And now do not be distressed or angry angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Verse 6, For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither uh, plowing nor harvest. God sent me here before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep you alive for many uh, many uh, survivors verse 8 so it was not you who sent me here but God And then he reminded them of this uh, this very same fact in Genesis 50 after their father Jacob died. they sold him into slavery. But it was really God who had sent him uh, there ahead of them in order to provide for them many uh, survivors. In other words, in order to save them. It was important for his brothers to understand this. It is equally important for us to understand this. You know, among Joseph's brothers, who do we who do we find? Well, we find murderers. Simeon and Levi slaughtered the the citizens of Shechem. Remember that? We find perverts. Reuben had relations with his father's concubine. We find a self-consumed fornicator uh, because Judah had relations with his son's wife, albeit unwittingly. And the whole lot of them all of Joseph's older brothers, uh, excluding Benjamin, he was the younger, and excluding Reuben, uh, because he did not want to, to murder Joseph. But all the others were ready to murder him before they finally settled on sell, selling him into slavery instead. And then they lied to their father. Here's my point Joseph's brothers, they were not seeking God. They were not concerned about the things of God. There was no evidence even that they were believers. In fact, just the opposite. Their lives clearly demonstrated that they did not know God at all. But what did God do? What was God doing during this entire period that they did not know Him? He was providing salvation for them. Uh, This is the teaching of Romans 5, verse 8. But God shows His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our salvation is all of the Lord. I know it is very tempting to try and add something to your salvation or to contribute something to what God has done. And you know, if you add something to your salvation, it can feel very comforting to think that, that you have some control, however slight, but some control over your eternal destiny. But salvation is from the Lord from first to last. God elected who would be saved. God sent His Son to to die for sinners. God sends His Spirit to draw His elect to Himself. He keeps His own and He will resurrect our bodies on the last day. From first to last, our salvation belongs to the Lord. We can contribute nothing. And all that we do contribute is only His grace to us. The salvation that God gives always deals with sin. Joseph makes this clear to his brothers. Look at verse 4. So Joseph said to his brothers, as he's revealing himself to them, Come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into slavery. Joseph doesn't simply overlook this fact. He deals with it head on. You sold me into slavery. Salvation always deals with sin. I meet people and talk to people about the Gospel. And as I'm talking with them about the Gospel, one of the first things they'll tell me is, as um, I'm talking about forgiveness of sins and about having a relationship with God, they say, well, I have forgiveness of sins because I asked God to forgive me. And I'll ask them, how does your asking God to forgive you of your sins take away your sins? You ask God to do this, but your sins have to be dealt with. And I'll press them. You know, and it's usually they're talking about all the things they do. I pray, I ask God for forgiveness, I do good things. You know, I haven't yet once mentioned to me anything about Jesus, but Jesus is the only one who can deal with their sin, and they just talk about the things that they can do. And so, salvation always deals with sin. So, Joseph makes it explicit here in verse four: Jesus also made it explicit. He said to the people of his generation, "...those who are well have no need of a a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call righteous, or call thee righteous, but sinners." There are no good Christians. I know we like to use that term to describe people who do good things because of their sincere love for Christ. But they, or we can make it a little more personal, we we only do do good things, we only love Christ because the Holy Spirit has changed us. God deals with our sin. He dealt with it in Jesus Christ. Listen to Ephesians two one through five. The Apostle Paul says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all also once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In other words, there's sin that needs to be dealt with. Verse 5, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. God doesn't make an in run around our sin. Our sin has to be dealt with. But it's not us who deals with it. It's Jesus Christ. That's why He came and died on the cross. In other words, everything that I've said in this sermon uh, to this point could be summarized by, by my third point, which is that salvation is by grace alone. All Joseph's brothers deserved was bare justice. Joseph could have justly thrown the whole lot of them into jail and then thrown away the key. But instead, because of Joseph's great love for his brothers, he melted verses 1-3, through Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. His weeping was so loud that the Egyptians heard it. The household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Joseph's love mirrors, however dimly, it still mirrors God's love for us. We are sinners that only deserve God's justice, but because of His great love for us, he sent his son to bear our sins and to suffer his holy justice in our stead. Fourth point, salvation brings reconciliation. And this is clearly the the point of verses nine through fifteen. So listen to verses nine through fifteen. Hurry and go to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. You shall be near me. You and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. Now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father all of all my honor in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. There's reconciliation. These brothers who hated Joseph. These brothers who had contemplated murdering him. These brothers who had sold him into slavery. Now there is reconciliation. As I read this passage, my mind kept going back to Romans chapter 5. Listen to Romans 5, verses 10 and 11. And consider the lengths that Joseph went to in order that he might be reconciled to his brothers. We've been looking these past several weeks as Joseph's plan has unfolded to now he's revealed himself. As you listen to Romans 5, verses 10 and 11, note that the passage says that we were once God's enemies. But He has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ. Romans 5, verses 10 and 11, For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, how much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That is sweetness. To the Christian soul, that though we were enemies, God has reconciled us through the blood of His Son. In this connection, listen to Zephaniah chapter three, verses fourteen through seventeen. Listen to God rejoicing over the fact that He has reconciled sinful people to Himself. Zephaniah three verse fourteen: Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion! He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. In other words, God is thrilled that He has reconciled us to Himself even though it cost Him the blood of His own dear Son. I know many Christians struggle with this idea of whether God loves me Read Zephaniah three, fourteen through seventeen. Read Romans five, ten and eleven. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die for sinners, for people who were his enemies. And then finally salvation is about is all about God's faithfulness listen to verses 16 through 28. And the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this. Load your beast and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me and I will give you the best land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for all the best of the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh, and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave three hundred shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey then he sent his brothers away and as they departed he said to them do not quarrel on the way I tend to think that's a little humor on Joseph's part so they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob and they told him Joseph is still alive and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt and Jacob's heart became numb for he did not believe them But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph my son is still alive. I will go see him before I die. All the Israelites are moving down to Egypt. Do you remember what God said to Abraham way back in Genesis 15? He said to Abraham, your descendants will be strangers in a land not their own, and I will keep them there until it is time for them to come back and possess the land that I have promised. This goes back four generations. This goes back hundreds of years. And God was working out His plan of salvation in the life of Abraham, in the life of Isaac, in the life of Jacob, in the life of Joseph and his brothers. God is faithful. Salvation is all about God's faithfulness. Everything that we've been reading about in the book of Genesis, Has been God's unfolding plan of salvation. He is faithful to His Word. God continues to be faithful to His Word. He faithfully sent His Son into the world after thousands of years, but in each of those years, each moment of those years leading up to Christ's coming, God was working out His plan of salvation. And he, because he has sent his son, you can know that he will be faithful to you as well. All his promises to you are yes and amen in our Lord Jesus Christ. And he will continue to be faithfully with you today. He will be faithful with you in your future. He will be faithful to the church until the day he comes back. And then from eternity, for eternity. He will be faithful. God's faithfulness extends over your life. God's faithfulness extends over your family. God's faithfulness extends over your circumstances. God's faithfulness extends over your future. Wherever you find yourself. If you are in Christ, you can know that God will be faithful to you and that He faithfully loves you so much that He sent His Son to die in your stead. Who can bring any charge against God's elect? We can know that nothing under all creation, neither heaven, uh, neither height nor depth, width or breadth, nothing is able to separate us from our faithful God who loves us. Let's pray together. Father, as we are reminded of Your faithfulness, as we have examined through the life of Joseph this morning uh, Your salvation that You have revealed to us, I ask, God, that You would be with us as we uh, celebrate um, together around the communion table. Uh, Fill us with Your Spirit. Renew our, our souls with the gospel of Christ. We ask in His name. Amen.